Hi, my name is Peter Mo, and I'm from Tourism Ireland's Nordic office in Copenhagen. Today we will be talking about the Irish National Studding Garden, as well as Irish horse racing. We have the perfect person with us here today to enlighten us on this. David Wardell, Tourism Development Manager at the Irish National Studding Gardens. Now, David, you're very welcome to our show today. Would you mind telling our listeners what a stud is? Good morning, Peter. Lovely, lovely to be able to speak to you. Um, what is a stud? Well, actually, it's a funny, funny question, because in America, a stud would be the physical horse who breeds, whereas mm -hmm. in Europe, a stud is more classified as the place. So in America, okay. in, so in America, you would have a place called, let's say, Claiborne Farm, where studs live, whereas uh, in Europe, we have the Irish National Stud which breeds top horses and has stallions. So we don't necessarily call them studs, we call them stallions. So, of course, this causes great hilarity when American visitors come here and they see signs like stud office or, uh, you know, the national stud, because they all think that, that that's <laughs> talking about uh, uh, about the, the horses, when in fact our stud office is our farm office. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. I didn't know that, but that's good to know. I mean... Yeah, so so basically, it's it's a place where horses are bred. It's a place where thor the th yeah the thoroughbred is, is thoroughbred horse. Okay. Yeah, so that's horses for racing and yes, a thoroughbred is 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 extraordinary. It's it's a breed of animal which come back actually about three hundred years with three purebred Arab stallions were brought in by these posh English and Irishmen. So they were sort of um, nothing like a thoroughbred. They were more like. A sort of a whippet-like horse, very beautiful, nimble, but not great. Didn't have great stamina and strength. So these horses were bred with our common old war horses and hunting horses, and this what brought about the breed of a thoroughbred. But interestingly yeah. enough, they've been logged from day one. Uh, so virtually every racehorse in the entire world can go back to one of those three stallions. Wow! And when was this? This was. That right back at the end of the 1600s and the 1700s. Yeah, the late okay, 1600s, early 1700s. So it goes back that long. And that's why we're very careful when we breed horses. We have a lot of very, very strict rules as to, like, uh, it might interest you know, it, uh, we're one of the only farming breeds in the world where there's a worldwide ban on artificial insemination for racehorses. Whereas okay. other horses or cattle or anything, if it was a... If it was a show jumper, for instance, they can store as much semen as they like. Or if it's a female show jumper, she can donate her eggs to a surrogate. Mm. But in the racing world, every racehorse in the world are bred naturally. So the female ex-racehorse has to come to a stud farm like us and actually physically breed with a stallion. And why is that? Sorry. <laughs> It's it's as I say, going back to those three Arab stallions. It's it's also oh, it's, it's just a tradition. It's a small gene pool, and if you can imagine, we're going to talk maybe a bit later. We, you know, we've we've had a top stallion here. He's he was one of the top stallions in Europe, and if you had a artificial insemination, he could foreseeably he could he could have bred a thousand a week. You know, because that's how artificial works. You take oh, right. okay. take semen, you split it up, and everything, and it's going to devalue all his stock. But more importantly, in a few years' time, you'd only have brothers marrying sisters. So he can only mm. physically breed when he was really young, maybe up to 200 in the season, because he was a closed season too. It all happens in the spring. So um, 
basically, so he can only do maybe maximum if he's when he's quite young, about 200 in that closed season. And then he has to finish. And it gives the opportunity for all the other stallions of his caliber to breed. And therefore, you know, okay. it's 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 sort it diversifies of, the gene pool as well. It yeah. diversifies. Now there is a way which interests people. Uh, we're slightly going, you know, a long way around an answer. But we do breed all around the world by our young horses, actually, mm -hmm. at the end of the season. So every thoroughbred in the world, in the Northern Hemisphere, I should say, has one official birthday. This is January the 1st. So if you had a foal born in December, he's worthless, or she is worthless. Because if he's born in January in December, he's one on January the 1st. Next year, he has to register as a two-year-old racehorse. But he's only going to be a year and a, and a month old not nearly big enough. The following year, he's got to register for a three-year-old. Well, he's only going to be half the size of all the other three-year-olds. So, 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 well, it's a bit like in humans, you have the under-12s, the under-16s, the under-18s. Yeah. So, because it stops you going to the race course and say, sorry, you can't go into that two-year-old race because you're not old enough. So everyone's classified from the January the 1st. And, okay. And, um, and that's very important. So all our foals are born in January, February, March, April, May. We still had 50-odd in May. We'll have nearly 400 born on the place this year. But come the end of May, wow. we'll completely finish uh, having foals until the following January. And uh, okay. But going back to the stallions and artificial insemination, so all our stallions, it's 11 months gestation. So they start, this always causes Ooh. a laugh, Peter, they start, I'm not joking you, on Valentine's Day. And they think <laughs> truth. Because if they started at the beginning of February, you'd have your mm -hmm. first babies born in, 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 they could pop out in December. So you never, ever start earlier than Valentine's Day to make sure you have that January foal. And the stallions then finish at the end of July, uh, June. But the younger stallion, <laughs> he's sitting around for quite a long time, nothing to do. So I tell you what some young stallions do. They physically get on aeroplanes and they fly down to places like Australia, New Zealand, mm -hmm. South Africa. Mm -hmm. Australia and New Zealand are the biggest market because they basically, their winters are summer. So their January the 1st, below the equator, it's called Southern Hemisphere Breeding, is August the 1st. So our stallions can work down there and then they come back at Christmas and then they'll work here and then they'll go to Australia. And they usually only do this when they're very young, because when their first runners come out, everyone will step back and stop using them. And if they're really fast, they can put up their prices and dot travel to Australia. And if they're really slow, they won't want them on Australia. But we've basically made as much of our investment back before they have their first runners. Fair enough. That's incredible. It's a very long but, answer for one very simple question. I apologize. Yeah, yeah, no, but it's it's incredibly funny still. Yeah. Um, so, David, if artificial insemination is not allowed, then how do you know if a mare is ready for breeding? Oh, that's a very good question. Basically, I mean, as I say, because it's 12 months, nature doesn't want to hang around for too long. So she'll actually come into season or the egg inside her will start growing nine days after foaling. So you could actually mate again nine days later, but we'd usually wait her regular cycle. She will ovulate 21 days after she's last mm. ovulated. Now in the wild, 
the, the stallion would be checking. And when she's in season, she's very happy to get married. And when she's not, she will kick and bite and squeal. Now, we have a small problem here because our stallions are a little bit precious and valuable. So in mm -hmm. each of the yards, we have a little gigolo, and he's called a teaser <laughs> pony. He's, he's a small stallion, but he's only a pony stallion. And his job okay. is purely to chat the ladies up. So he has a window, and the ladies are led past the window every day, and they can kick underneath the window if they're not happy. So it's very black and white. The ladies are led past from about 14 days. They kick underneath the window. We grab their foal, and they go out into the paddock for the day. And we do that day 14, 15, 16, around day 17 or 18. She's mm. led past, and suddenly she goes, how do you do, Mr. Teaser? Nice to meet you. And we know then that she's becoming receptacle to a stallion. We know now there is an egg starting to grow to her. It gets a little bit more technical then because we don't want to be wasting our time. We want to make sure it's just near ovulation. So uh, we, what we do then is that a vet would come in seven days a week and we would scan her eggs. And you okay. can do that by going through the top passage. We don't want to go near the egg. It's a very sterile area. But if you go through the top passage, you can pull out a bit of poo and you can put a scanner in and you can see what the egg is doing. And if the egg isn't right, we'll tease the next day. Then we'll uh, we'll scan, tease, scan, tease. And eventually the vet, the vet will go, bingo, that egg is ready to ovulate. And therefore you can go up and you usually only have to go up to the stallion once. So the poor old teaser pony has a rough job. He's chatting up all these ladies and then a stallion actually takes over and gets married. Fair enough, fair enough. That's fantastic to uh, to hear. I have to ask though, why does the why does the Irish government have a have a, a national stud? Like why is it government owned? Well, it goes back actually pre-independence. There was a very flamboyant Englishman uh, founder who was very wanted to impress the hoi polloi. He was he had a bit of a chip on his shoulder because he was from beer. He made all his money from beer. He was called William Hall Walker, mm -hmm. and he wanted to really get in. He did several things to really show off to the aristocracy. He lent his favourite horse to the king, which happened to win the Derby, and that's the only time the kings of England have ever won the Derby. And to really finishing it all to get to get it, if you like, as a war gift for World War One. He presented the entire farm to the English pre-independence, and it was became the English national stud. So Ireland, fun enough, we had better things to be doing when we first became independent. So we didn't take it on till 1946, officially. But the Irish government, to answer your question, were very, very brave because they could have sold it off. It was a maybe an English vanity project. But we are a huge, huge industry in this country. There are in 2023. There are over 30,000 people employed in our industry, and it's got huge foreign investment. So we have Saudis, mm. Kuwaitis. Funny enough, the Maktoum families, who basically rule Dubai, they have several farms bigger than this all over the countryside. And then the biggest in the world is actually an Irish consortium in Tipperary, who have nearly 1,000 employees and over 9,000 acres worldwide, including farms in Australia. So so it's big business, it's fair to say. Huge industry. Now, we weren't like that in 1946, but the Irish government were very brave. They restocked the farm and said, yes, this is the 
the showing off, if you like, the flag bearer of this incredible business in this country. Fair enough. Fair enough. But then, I mean, this all sounds very, I won't say industrial, but very corporate or somehow. But how do I then experience this as a consumer? What's the consumer experience when you go to the Irish Nationalist Dog? Well, I think the fact that it is a it is a business. It, we are a type of, mm. of farming. We don't have racehorses here. We try and breed the very best looking athletes that can be sold on into the racing business. So it is it is a farm. So we're one of the very few places that the general public can actually come into a commercially working farm and see how it works. So ah, we have visitors okay. that come in from all around the world. We have free independent travelers. We have coach groups. We have private people who just want to have a, a private guide. And then we even run a very back-of-the-scenes, high-end luxury tour as well. And they can come in and they literally get a tour, takes about an hour, and they can see exactly. We explain to them. We give them a little bit on that history. But we walk them around the farm and we explain the five key ways we make our money on the farm. Would you like me to explain those five key ways? Uh, sure, if you can summarize them, sure. Summarize the five key ways is one, we have this maternity suite, like a maternity hospital in humans. So mm -hmm. basically people pay us to have their birthing done in a safe environment. So they come a few days before right. and they leave a day or two afterwards. And we'll fold between 350 and 400 folds this year. To fold means to birth uh, a horse. Yes, to birth a bird. Now, that is a gorgeous time of year, but very, very important to tell everyone that, like I've said, because of that January the 1st rule, we'll still have 50 born in May. But by the end of May, all the foals are stopped being born, but we still have a lot of mares and foals out on the farm. Hmm. That's one of our incomes, a foaling fee and any bed and breakfast. Number two is some of them stay on the farm once they've had their foal and we organize all their re-impregnation. So when they go home, they have a foal at foot and a foal inside them. Okay, yeah, because the 11th month gestation. Uh, exactly, because it's 11 months, it happens very quickly. As I say, as soon as it's after Valentine's Day, you're, 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 you start again. So, And a mare will actually, because it's so, mm. she will actually want to reproduce nine days after foaling and then every 21 days. So uh, it's, it's because it's a year, there's no hanging around. Then number three... We, the company that runs it for the government, we own about 50 females. And the 50 females then have 50 babies. Mm. And we sell them at the auctions, usually when they're about 18 months old. So the following September. So it's, a, it's a, again, so there's lots of mares yeah. and foals that we own living on the place all year round that people can come and see. We also have, gosh, at this time of year, anywhere between 50 and 100 borders on the place so these are people who want own female horses but they don't own land in this country so we look after all their female stock and then number six of our income mm. we have eight stallions on the place we don't own any of them outright but they can have anywhere up to or between a, over a, around about average around 100 mares for each one so that's busy and that all happens so they, and they drive in and drive out. Remember, said no AI, so they drive in and drive out. So it's a busy working farm, and people get to see it. But every time of year, for instance, if they come 
from sort of late August onwards, they won't see mares and foals because the foals will be weaned and they'll be in separate paddocks from their mothers. And where is the stud then? Where, where can I find the stud if I want to visit? The stud is brilliantly located because we're just south of Dublin, the capital. So we're mm. under an hour uh, uh, drive on right off a motorway. So a lot of our visitors are, could be just uh, weekend vacations to Dublin and or you know short trips to Dublin. But then a lot of our visitors are people traveling because it's it's on the main route south. If you're going to Limerick, Cork, Kerry, even to Kilkenny, there's a slight detour. Anyone heading really passes our door. So we're a minute off the motorway and also next to, okay. to the Kildare Village, which is a very famous retail park. Oh, yeah, definitely. So you mentioned you mentioned that, well, basically foaling starts between well January and onwards yeah till the end of May to the end of May what other seasons are there uh for the stud well basically so what happens the mare has a foal in the spring and then mm. once the weather gets nice some mid uh sort of end of April from May onwards they're all out on the paddocks 24/7 up until then they're all coming in and out every night so it's always quite a people like to see them being led in and out of their paddocks. But come the end of April, once the frost has stopped, they're out 24-7. And then last year's foals will be brought back in August and prepared for the yearlings, to, you know, for the sales, for the auctions, when they're about 18 mm-hmm. months old. So really the spring is the main busy, busy, busy time on the farm. A few of the foals might be sold off in the autumn. But we've also got two gorgeous gardens here. Our founder, William Hall Walker's extravagance for showing off is he in... Um, in 1904, he went to an exhibition in London and he met a very famous Japanese gardener called Tessa Aida. And Tessa saw a bit of money walking in, I'd say, because he was commissioned to do five years and 40 labourers and he built a very famous Japanese gardens. So we have the Japanese gardens here and that's very seasonal as well. You have cherry blossom, you have the autumn, the fall, the spring. So that perhaps at the moment is full of of snowdrops and little bulbs coming out. It's absolutely gorgeous. Oh, that sounds lovely. So so it's not only then a stud, it's also... It's a... well, an incredibly beautiful garden experience that you can can There's only over 600 acres to walk around. So you could basically, you could see the Japanese garden is quite quite a small garden, but we have another garden that is built for the millennium, which was St. Fiacre's garden. And that's a much larger eight acre garden with lakes, waterfalls, and amazing, beautiful reproductions of the the beehive cells the monks lived in the fifth century. So that's a lovely, beautiful, full of wildlife, swans, and, you know, flora and fauna. So it's, it's, it's gorgeous. So it's not just yes, you're right. It's it, it's not just a commercial stud farm. It's a it's a, it's a whole experience. You could spend three or four hours. Something I haven't mentioned is what we built just before the the, the COVID outbreak, which has just won a huge war, award in America. It's called the Irish Racehorse Experience. The Irish Racehorse mm-hmm. Experience is a purpose-built interactive experience. Because when you come to the farm here, you only experience the, the first 18 months of a horse life. But of course, it's got a whole racing career to go onwards. So we built this interactive experience where people get given a, a tablet. And on the way around, they can play the game of investing in the industry. So they go to a simulator of an auction. And on their tablet, the horse is walking around and they 
by that horse that is walking around in front of them in the simulator. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the next room is a training room, and in that room they give it get to give it a name, and then they go as they go around they get to buy a fictitious trainer, and then they a regime, and then they also design colours that their jockey might want to wear, and then <laughs> the, the, the 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 crescendo, if you like, in the middle of the exhibition. We have a simulator of eight horses with a screen of a race going on. And these horses move a little bit and they rock backwards and forwards. And you can see if all the decisions you've made make you win or lose the race. We have a simulation of a race. And it's just amazing. The fun you get out of it, but also it's very realistic. And as I say, it's just won a huge award, the Thea Award, based in California. And we're really excited about, and um, so that's also part of of the, mean, of the of the ticket to come into the place. And how much is the ticket to come into the place? It varies. It's slightly from slightly in the off season to the season. Basically, it's very good value. I think it's it's, it's roughly around twenty euros to a family ticket, which is yeah. between forty and fifty euros. Okay, so it's not expensive at all. And I I mean comparatively, because especially uh, considering then that you get to have the whole experience of being a an investor in yes in an Irish racehorse. I mean, how much does an how much does one of your horses retail for? Ha-ha. Well, we have we we've had several stallions. You know, several. There's been since 1946. Mm. Has been over 80 come through the place, but without doubt, the most successful stallion, and he's still here. He's semi-retired now because he's a 26 year old man, and that's old for a, for a thoroughbred. Wow. But in his, horse, in his prime, he's a horse called Invincible Spirit. And in his prime, he, he was insured for around 60 million euros. He's now, of course, not insured for anything because you can't get life insurance as an old age pensioner. But when, when he was in his prime, he was getting 120,000 euros for each lady that visited him. But that's good value because the average price of his unbroken offspring the auction yeah. was around half a million so okay so i mean 50 euros or half a million now we have horses here we have horses here that stand you only have to pay two three thousand to use we have i think uh, we have we have a, a stallion which is you cost you cost about fifteen thousand to use one or about ten thousand we'll be more of the medium range and we're semi-state here but, you know, there's always a dream there that one of our stallions, like Inv- Invincible, started from rather a lowly, you know, start. He His first initial fee was 10,000 euros. But only that he produced hundreds and hundreds of top class winners. The price and the demand for him went up. And it's like the stock market. The more the demand from it, the higher the price. And he's actually, yeah, he's actually got over 20 of his children are stallions all around the world. And when he was a baby to, to pay the bills, he went up and down to Australia. If you go to Australia, the most successful stallion in Australia is his son called I Am Invincible. <laughs> That's fantastic. <coughs> so how many yeah, how many horses are bred and sold at the at the start then in total a year? Well, oh gosh, in Ireland, I mean Ireland uh is, as I say, per capita one of the most successful, but just on the farm alone, you know, we would, uh, there would be, gosh, if you can imagine with all the, the foot mares and foals coming in to have their foals and leaving again, all the, the mares coming in to driving in to use the stallions in or out, there are literally hundreds and hundreds coming 
through the farm and we would sell we would okay yeah we would sell uh you know well over a hundred animals a year at the auctions just our farm but in in ireland as alone it's a billion dollar industry it's 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 huge it's huge, it's huge. And, and a lot of it as i say is foreign investment because we've got this amazing fertile mm. land in ireland everyone wants to breed their horses in this wonderful limestone land the emerald isle the emerald isle so What's your favorite experience when working with horses? Well, you know, sadly, I don't work nearly as much because now I'm in charge of all the tourism side of the farm. But mm. one of my, without doubt, uh, I ran a, a birthing hospital like we've got here. We have, you know, part of our, as I said, we have this folding unit. Mm. And I ran one of those many, many, many years ago uh, when I was soon after college. And you never get bored getting a knock on the door being called down no matter if it's two or three o'clock in the morning and you literally help this lady you put your hand in make sure everything's in the right position and you make okay. sure and this this creation lands on the straw and within an hour an hour and a half that foal is up sucking at the milk bar and ready to go out in a little paddock the next morning it's so quick but it's just it you never wow. lose the thrill you could be woke 10 times in the night you'd never be grudge getting up to do that it's just the most wonderful thing that does sound wonderful and i mean foals are lovely i love seeing the videos that you share of of the foals in in the fields it's just fantastic yeah well we're full on at the moment i think we had yesterday we had i think eight in 40 in 24 hours so it's oh. uh it, it's it, it's it's really is hotting up to become a very very busy season of foaling but again you know it. Yeah, it's, it's it's a lovely time of year. And we, you know, our nursery paddocks, I brought a group around this morning and there were at least eight or nine in nursery paddocks just running, skipping around their mothers. And it's just beautiful. So spring is definitely the time of year if you want to experience the falls. If you want to get them absolutely brand new, you've really got to come in the spring. Uh, but as I say, come the end of May, the last one is born. But June, July and August, there's plenty to see. Actually, there's something else uh, that, that I haven't mentioned. The final thing that we see, we also have six retired uh, superstars on the, okay. our, we call them our living legends. And especially if you know anything about racing in England and Ireland, because they were absolute, they were on television for 10 years. They're all, the difference between them and the Stallions is that they were all ran most of their careers as geldings. They were castrated. And okay. that gives them longevity as a male. I mean, without getting into too much detail, if you have a female horse, she starts as a two-year-old and she can race as long as you want or you can stop and breed. However, if you have a male horse, he's got to prove to become a super stallion prematurity. So he's got to become really fast very quickly as a two, three, four-year-old. Once he arrives at nearly five, things are going to go different in his head. He's going to get muscles, though he never had muscles before. And he's becoming very difficult to train. Now, you can make mm. him back to his super speed again by castrating him and he becomes a gelding and he can race for as long as you want. But obviously, at the end of his career, he can only retire. And these horses become more famous than a lot of the stallions because the stallions, as I say, they did it all, at, they did it all on the track as a two, three-year-old. They're covered in cotton wool. They're never seen on television again, whereas the geldings can be out on TV for another 10 years. And they do the... Okay. And a lot of them do jump racing. 
which is steeplechasing. They have a huge fan base and become very, very famous. So our living legends are one of the most popular things people want to come and see. And because they're geldings, they're unlike the stallions are behind big fences, whereas the geldings can have their head over the fence and they get given carrots every day by the general <laughs> public. And they just have a lovely, and everyone wants to have a photograph with one of our, um, our legends. I've all got wonderful names too. The most extraordinary name is we have a horse called, well, basically the owners didn't know what they were going to call him. So they went to a wedding and they looked at a menu yeah. and he's called Beef or Salmon. <laughs> Anyone in, in racing uh, <laughs> knows about Beef or Salmon. He's now an old, old boy. He's about 26, 27, but he's he, Beefy is, is, and then we have another great man in there. He's called Fahin, called after a village in, in, in Ireland. But all his fan base used to call him Fahin the Machine. And he just okay. superstar. There was another amazing horse that was in the Guinness Book of Records of the most successful horse of all time. He was called Hurricane Fly, who won 22 grade ones, jumping hurdles, not the big fences. He wasn't very big and he jumped hurdles. And Hurricane Fly is retired out there. And, and then we have a big horse called Kicking King, who uh, won the Cheltenham Gold Cup? It's like the Olympics of jump racing, and uh, we have we have over eleven million euros in prize money just in that retired Geldings paddock. It's a wonderful place. Wow! I mean, that sounds fantastic. One thing I can't get out of my head is just the not visualization, just the audio thought of someone shouting. B for salmon. B for salmon. B for salmon. B for salmon coming up on the outside and B. <laughs> Uh, I know it causes a lot of a, a lot of people smile, especially our American visitors. And he was a funny horse. He didn't certain tracks he didn't like to win on, and certain tracks he, he wasn't a dead cert every time. So he caused a lot of heartache, if you like, because he yeah. was he had all the ability. But he he was a lovely. He's a lovely, beautiful character, and um, he was uh, a true star. He's a true star. Well, as I say, he's one of our living legends, yeah. and there. During the summertime, they're out there, and as I say, they nearly go orange. The amount of carrots that they're given by uh, <laughs> by all that of all the people. So, just to summarise, you have mares and foals in the spring and uh, and early summer. You have the stallions are out there the whole time, and then you have running right the way through the year a paddock of these wonderful geldings, the living legends. Yeah, and then you have the experience centre where you can try and become an investment guru in. The experience is another whole thing. As I say, yeah. it's part of it's part of a free independent traveler's uh, entry fee, and that's another fifty minutes to an hour. And then, of course, the two gardens, and then, yeah, exactly. and then, of course, we we upgraded uh, last year. We have the most uh, spectacular shop and restaurant, home with homemade food. But the shop is is great because a lot of Especially, you know, a lot of our visitors think it's hilarious to have go home with a shirt T-shirt that says National Stud on it. You know, they like they like that. Oh, uh, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, I get that. <laughs> so, so where and how can our listeners get in contact to find out more about what you have on offer? Then, where can they get that stud T-shirt? The best, of course, is our website, which is IrishNationalStud.ie. And if anyone wants to think about groups or anything, you know, you can you can get us at reservations at irishnationalstud.ie. But they're, they're the best. And tickets can be bought through the website as well. Perfect. David, it was an 
absolute pleasure to speak with you. And honestly, I've just been laughing so much at all the the horse facts. I'm I'm so happy. Uh, if if the listeners could see me right now, I have a giant smile on my face, and I've just been trying to keep my laugh away. I hope I haven't gone into too much detail. I really don't. Absolutely uh, brilliant, David. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Not at all.